The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. All right, boys and girls, and welcome back to Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is the one, the only, Tammy, the Sasquatch Underwood. How's it going today, Tam? It's going. Just going? It's just going. Have you talked to your future husband? No. no. I talked to him yesterday. And stop it! <laughs> just don't tell me what you said. I talked to him yesterday. <laughs> How's how, how's my half brother doing? He's doing good. You and my sister have got to stop because you and Todd are going to get married. Think about it this way here, okay? Number one, you work for me, right? So yes. if you marry my half brother, then we'll be related. We'll be related. It's all in the family. Yay! And then I feel good because I am employing family family members. <laughs> you know, and if you employ family members, you know you get a tax break, right? <laughs> Yes, yes, I do. <laughs> I was wondering if you knew that. I do. A tax break for family members and convicted felons. <laughs> I, I can double dip your convicted felon, and you'll be a family member. I can double dip like a nacho chip. I hate you. I got to take my earbud out now. Um, <laughs> no, because I had to leave that message for somebody. So, yeah, this is just, yeah. So, yeah. okay, you and I talked about this one here uh, like a year or so yeah, ago. Yeah, we talked about a long time ago because I said I think you're going to want to do this one and then you didn't but I picked it up because it's kind of like a short but sweet one kind of little right 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 I, I know that I did some research on it yeah I just honestly anyway fuck it he's yeah it's Gordon Stewart Northcott the chicken coop murder big cock Big cock. Oh, my goodness. Did you really just do what I think you did? (laughs) You are horrible. Horrible. My big cock? No, you're just the way you talk. (laughs) It's just like wrong on every level, Scott. You know, I'm going to give your mom the. uh, No, no, (laughs) you will not. I'm going to give her the Tony Danza treatment. You know what that is? No. That's where I flop my penis on her and go, who's the boss, baby? You know what's really funny about that is you call you say Tony Danza treatment and my nickname for Todd is Tadanza. <laughs> oh my god, that's messed up. Tadanza. Look, man, I I love Todd, but I don't love Todd. Okay, I ain't flopping my pecker on him at all. I know, but I adore. I mean, and people think I'm weird and demented and shit, but I adore him mainly because he doesn't bullshit us. I, I, yeah, that's why. When and you that and is one of the things I admire about people. Don't bullshit me. I love talking to him off air, uh, away oh, from yeah. the show and everything, because him and I have great conversations. It's you know, oh my goodness, him and I have had some funny ass conversations. Yes, it's good times. All yes. right, so let's get on with this Gordon so, Norcott chicken coop. Yeah, and Gordon Mark. Stewart Northcott, the chicken coop murders. So you know. You know, in night the early tw- early to late twenties was you know the. The Depression happened in, what, 23? Something like that, I think. It's the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, it it is the Roaring Twenties. It was the height of the Jazz Age. Yeah. Right? The whole, the speakeasies and the Jazz Age, the, you know, all that stuff. The prohibition that nobody really paid attention to and, you know. (laughs) And Southern California was booming. Um... It was transformed by agriculture as well as the film and film and aeronautics industries from a knot of sleepy desert towns 
on this western frontier. It became a bustling and glamorous metropolis in Southern California. But Los Angeles, you know, that city of angels and the surrounding area still had their demons and the justice system struggled to tame them. During this time, a series of child abductions and murders that year turned the area on its ear. Not only because of the crimes, brutality, and horror, but because the lies and sanity surrounding them. And and because what both the crimes and the investigation of them revealed about power and justice in the city. A cruel and deviant young man by the name of Gordon Stewart Northcott kidnapped, sexually abused, and murdered a minimum of three and as possibly as many as 20 young boys, possibly with the help of his mother and his nephew. You know what shocks me the most about these stories? Huh. Seriously, you would think that it would be young girls Uh because, you know, that's... You always hear about everybody warning young girls about being abducted and raped and yada yada. But during this era here, um, I would say probably like the anything back from like the 1950s back was a lot of abducted boys yes. getting raped and killed. It's, yes. it's, it's just to me, it's just bizarre. Well, and not just that is remember, this is before uh, criminals had any rights too. No, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what I mean? Because we covered, you know, those two out of Chicago area, you know, the straight, the Star Rock murders and um, right Hirons. Yes, you know what I mean. But this is the sad part: is or actually either sad or strange, and it was actually depicted in Clint Eastwood's film, two thousand eight film, The Changeling. When a cocky and an imaginative young Midwestern runaway tried to masquerade as one of the murdered boys, the L.A. Police Department actually committed his mo- the victim's mother, who, it, who tried to expose the imposter. Right? The, okay, check this out. This, this is going to sound confusing. This Midwestern runaway was trying to pull, you know, try to say he was this victim, right? Right. Now, when the Los Angeles Police Department heard about this, because the victim's mother tried to say, hey, that is not my son. You know, this is an imposter. Instead of trying to find out why this kid was imp- was posing as her dead son, they put her in an insane asylum because they didn't want to acknowledge that they had been hoodwinked by this imposter. Right, right, right. No, I'm, I remember seeing things about that, yeah. And I'm just like, are you kidding me right now? <laughs> Because heaven forbid if the police department admits they're wrong, right? Even today, but still. So, the first thing I want to talk about is nine-year-old Walter Collins Jr. He was last seen by a neighbor at the corner of Pasadena and North Avenue in Lincoln Heights, L.A. Around 5 p.m. on March 10, 1928. His mother, Christine, was a telephone operator, and she had given him a dime so he could go see the movies at a local theater. Imagine that, a dime oh for a movie. Oh, my God. That's back when popcorn, you can afford it. Like, I took my son to see the <laughs> Mario movie, and with tickets, popcorn, everything like that. Dude, you need a loan. Let's just say I'm missing a kidney. <laughs> <laughs> you had to go sell it on the black market, right? No, no, they took it right there. <laughs> they, said, that's two... they have this room inside the back that, you know, just went, And that's go. two large sodas? Come with me, sir. I'm a... Why? What's happening? Well, just smell this rag. It was horrible. You can't a movie without getting popcorn. It's illegal. 
No, and that's true. And plus, you know, on on the rare occasion that you know Jake and I do something like that, um, yeah, I want to we want to have a good time. You know, I want to get the the soda and the popcorn and and all that good stuff so we can enjoy yeah. the movie, have a little snacky poo, and and it was a good time. Uh, seriously, it was, it was well worth it. Yeah, it was well worth it. And yeah, all that good stuff. Oh, I know. I've always I, I've done that before. Gotten the big soda and like had over. Three-fourths of it left when it was done. All right, so let's continue on with so this. So anyway, so he gave him time to go to the movies. Now, Walter Collins' father, senior, was actually in prison at Folsom Prison doing time for robbery at that time. So... And time keeps <laughs> dragging on. Now, even though his disappearance caused nationwide attention in the media, the police didn't make any progress on the investigation. With the Los Angeles Police Department came under fire for several corruption scandals and a grisly, still unsolved child murder baffling its investigators, their inability to trace a lost child was embarrassing, right? Chief James Davis, already controversial, was under intense pressure to solve the case. You ever think that they made little comebacks that, uh, like from the media to them? Like, Trace a young child. You can't even trace a line on a piece of paper with a ruler. <laughs> you can't even chalk outline a dead body right now. You can't. That's right there. You couldn't chalk outline a freaking chalk outline if somebody drew the chalk outline for you. <laughs> right. Trace a dead child. God damn. A lost child. Nobody knew he was dead yet. Or a lost child. Yeah. They did try to drag nearby Lincoln Park Lake for a body, but they couldn't find anything. And. Walter's father actually suspected some of his former fellow inmates might have killed or kidnapped the boy for revenge because he was a prison mess hall boss responsible for, for reporting other inmates' infractions in the cafeteria. So he was pretty much a jailhouse snitch, kind of. Oh, gotcha. And dozens of tips came in, but none of them led to anything. But Just dead the tips. I've, seen, I've said that before. Just the tips. <sighs> Richard Struther, see I'm, how I'm moving on? Except for, me, for your mom. Your mom said, no, I need more than the tip. I said, all right, I'm in. Richard Struthers, <laughs> a gas station attendant out of Glendale, said, called in and said he saw a boy wrapped in newspaper in the back of a car, and he looked dead. He told the police that the couple driving the car were, quote, foreigners, possibly Italian, and it, who had asked him directions to the local police station. Another man by the name of C.V. Staley apparently followed this couple and they stopped the car briefly in front of police headquarters. But when they then they sped away towards the San Fernando Valley and he lost them. So when the police showed Staley and, and Struthers Walters photo, they both said he was the little boy in the car. OK, Soon, police received more reports from across the state of a boy traveling with a, quote, swarthy couple begging to let, let him go. Neighbors of the Collinses also reported a mysterious, quote, foreign man in the neighborhood on the day Walter disappeared. Sadly, none, none, this proved not to the area's only juvenile, this wasn't the area's only juvenile missing person case that spring. Lewis and Nelson Winslow, were aged 10 and 12, disappeared on May 16, 1928, on their way from a model yacht club meeting in their, in their, on their way home in, to Pomona from a model yacht club meeting. Their parents actually received a couple of bizarre letters in the mail 
saying they were from them. The first was postmarked in Pomona and said they were headed to Mexico. A 10 and 12-year-old. We're going to Mexico. Hey, Ma. We ain't going to be home. We're headed to Mexico. Hey, man, it could be. They got good tequila and dope down there. Exactly. (laughs) You know, 10-year-old going, you know what? And hey, find a good street taco place. You'll never come back. They're like, dear mom and dad, we're in California and I like tacos. But you know what? Fuck y'all. I'm going for for Going to Tijuana. Going to Tijuana for some for some uh, tequila and hookers and some uh, some blow, so we're going to be down there and getting tacos, of course, as we'll eat. Okay, love you, the kids. Bye bye. I know. Then they received another letter later that month that said that from the boys that said they were healthy and they were healthy and doing okay, but they wanted to become famous by remaining missing as long as possible. Mom and Dad, we're doing okay. We're living life on freaking taco, street tacos and, and cocaine. You but know, we want to be famous, so we're, we're going to stay gone. We're going to be famous, though, because, uh, you know, little brother over here, he ate 15 tacos all at once. And they're like, I know. They were, like, really impressed with that. And drink, woo, the tequila, it flows like water down here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's probably better for you than the water down there. <laughs> Are you sure these kids aren't related to me? These I know. Like my kids. Hey, they might. Oh, 1928. No. <laughs> now, the thing is, is the police didn't connect the, the, the two brothers' disappearance with Walter's disappearance. And also, they there was a discovery of an anonymous headless body of a Latino boy in La Puenta that was found in a burlap bag in February. It's La Puente. That obviously couldn't be related, right? It's La Puente. Oh, excuse me, La Puente. Only because I used to go to a firing range there. Okay. Yeah. I, I guess I've been told. I stand corrected, people. No, you sit corrected. Oh, yeah, you're right. I sit corrected. We don't do so, the show standing up. <laughs> Unless I'm shaking my behind. They all, the authorities also didn't tie any neighbor's complaint that a Wineville man was mistreating a boy at his poultry farm draw any significant attention, right? Yeah, None of this could be related, right? Nah. None. That's all, all totally separate. It's all separate. So, with that case stalled, her son's, this woman's son's mystery, this son's disappearance was mysterious, would be forced... I don't even understand what I wrote here. No, Never you, mind. I'm going to skip that part. Good it idea. Made no sense. You wrote that when you were sick, didn't you? I, either that or I was stoned. I don't remember. Thanks for sharing that with me. Okay. So new drug policy. Oh, shut up. You Jesus know, I sometimes Christ. do it at night so I can sleep. You need to go talk to HR. <laughs> HR. Let's <laughs> <laughs> say, you know, sometimes I it toke on a little weed, just go to sleep. I actually fucking encourage that from anybody who, for anybody that works for me. Like, seriously, because you need it. Yeah. Because I'm not exactly your typical guy. To, to work for. I'm, oh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not we that guy. We need drugs to deal with you. Yeah, I'm not that 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 straight laced kind of a dude. And you, I won't do heroin. Sure. So you know, there you go. No, I definitely don't do heroin. I don't need you doing the show and then go on the nod. I <laughs> know. Go. <laughs> well, there goes. There, there goes that episode. Yeah, that, that episode's done. <laughs> We're calling this here the, uh, the 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 heroin podcast. <laughs> no, I I do because well because of all my back pain and all every other thing and my chronic insomnia. Sometimes I have to. So in August, and you know what? It's legal here, so people get off my back. I rely on booze and vagina, but hey, whatever. You know, well, whatever. I don't do vagina. You should. Yet. It tastes great. It's less filling. Better than beer. That just ruined it. 
So in August of that year, police in DeKalb, Illinois, picked up a boy who gave his name as Arthur Kent. He told police that his father had abandoned him, but wouldn't tell them anything else. They placed him temporarily with a farm family, but kept questioning him. Eventually, he told them that he was Walter Collins from L.A. and that he'd been dodging their questions to protect his father. Illinois police notified California authorities, and after notifying Mrs. Collins and sending her some photographs that the boys sent from L- that were sent from L.A. I mean, sent to L.A. from DeKalb, the reunion was highly publicized and extremely awkward. In passages that, in retrospect, are appalling, the L.A. Times described the boy as a severely affected by his ordeal, noting that his now drawn face had made him almost unrecognizable and that the strain seemed to have left him confused and hurt his memory. The article also noted that Christine told Captain J.J. Jones... I love that name, that man. Is a, that is a classic 20s cop name. That is a... I'm Captain J.J. Jones. I'm going to save the day. That's, yeah, I think you will. With a name like that, you can definitely save the day. Yeah, well, check this out. When she sold to Captain Jones that this was not her son, he and the boy insisted that you're his mother, and he persuaded her to... Try out the boy for a while. Oh my god! <laughs> why does if you no- don't like him? Take him back. Why does it try any, him out? Why doesn't any older lady try me out more often, <laughs> dude? You know what? I'm a fetish. God to somebody who's sitting there telling you this is not my kid. This isn't my son. Well, honestly, I'd be pretty pissed because, like, if yeah, it, if, if, if it was my son Jacob, and somebody was saying, "Yo, this is," and even if the kids look at me, "Daddy." I'm your son, Jacob. I'd be like, get the fucking hell away from me. I want my real kid. Because, you know, yeah. I happen to really love my son. I mean. We make fun of him, but I we do. like him. I make fun of him, but, you know, I, I, I truly I, I love my son. He, he's, a, he's a pretty fucking good kid, man. Yeah. So check this out. The young boy told reporters that he was playing in an empty lot near his house that March when he disappeared, when a strange man came up to him and said that his mother had given this man, the man said, your mother gave me $15 to buy you a new suit. The boy said he had been expecting this, so he went with the man. Why would he expect that? Why would yeah. Walter's mo- expect that when his mom barely gave him 10 cents to go to a movie and his dad was in prison? Uh, yeah, I was trying to figure that one out myself. That's, that's dumb as shit. Right. Because like... Um, Okay, yeah. you know what? We got to get an, another opinion over here. Hey, come here. I'm waiting for my son to step up over here to the microphone. Step up. I'm going to ask you a question, and then I want to—I I want your raw reaction. So here's what happened: This kid's playing in a in a field, okay? His, yeah. Uh, and this is the 1920s, so you know, like uh, for a dime, you can go see a movie. This was what his mom gave. And him. that's when there were no worries about stranger danger. Right. Guy steps up to him, a strange man, and says, hey, your mom sent me over here and gave me $15 to buy you a new suit. What would your reaction be to that? Step in. What mom? (laughs) I I know what reaction I would have because that just seems so far-fetched, at least nowadays. Even, I mean, it seems far-fetched back then. $15 is a lot of shit money in the 20s. In the 20s, $15 just seems like nothing. You could barely even get anything with it now. I know, but in the 20s, it was a lot of money. Because remember, you can go see a movie for a dime. 
I, I guess that's fair. I mean, yeah. But if something like that happened nowadays, of course, danger, stranger, stranger, dangerous things. Yeah. But but yeah, no. Yeah, I, I can't. That just makes anything. no sense because yeah, fifteen dollars no would have been like a, at least a hundred bucks now. I'm not even just talking about the money thing and just the whole scenario. Oh, just yeah, seems that's a little off. Yeah, me too. So so of course he went with the man, and the man then took him to a house in Hollywood and explained that he was the boy's real father, and the boy. Then he, the boy continued, the two of them hitchhiked out to the Midwest, east together to the Midwest. And that's not, a, that, that, that's not obscure to this kid at all. Yeah. Like, for real? Like, that's that's yeah. stupid. Yeah. Like, I don't so, care if you're full-on retarded. You're going to be sitting there going, this is off. Why are we... Because obviously, at that point there, there's no new suit. Yeah. A coming. And all of a sudden, you're hitchhiking all the way to the Midwest. With this strange dude. No, that says he's your real father, according to this imposter. Yeah, yeah. That's, we all know he's an imposter by now, right? That's not unusual at all. What yeah. stupid ass so motherfucker. Check this man. out. In early September, so a couple of weeks after the reunion, it was actually three weeks after the reunion, Christine Collins took the boy back to the police station. She also had with her her son's dental records and a collection of statements signed by people who knew her son stating that this boy that she had that they had given her saying this is Walter was not Walter. <laughs> now, acquaintances and co-workers later insist that Mrs. Collins was a competent professional woman. Remember, she's a telephone operator. Right, right, right. Who always displayed a remarkable degree of responsibility and self-possession. However... Captain Jones lit into her. He said, you're nothing but a crazy-ass bitch. And he accused her of trying to make the state take care of a child she probably no longer wanted. Probably more importantly to Jones of trying to embarrass the department. Right? Right. He threw her into a psych ward at the L.A. County General Hospital on a, quote, Code 12, which nowadays it's 5150. I wish that somebody would do that to me. And let me tell you why. It would be so peaceful and quiet. They could just well, give me all the Thorazine that they wanted. And... So they do the Thorazine shuffle? Oh, yeah. Dude, I... I, I I've seen vacation. people on Thorazine. It's sad. Wouldn't be sad for me. I'd be having a little vacay in my mind with air where everything's peaceful. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Tell the truth. Your mind is not peaceful. No, but on Thorazine it would be, right? You know, my, my, my brain's always pretty chaotic because of my lifestyle. But, but see, anyways, back then, a Code 12 was a, was a legal provision that let cops get rid of what they called disruptive troublemakers by committing them to insane asylums. Yeah. yeah so yeah. it was just their, like, go-to. Meanwhile, in nearby Wineville, her true son's fate was about to be unearthed, Right. In early September 1928, a Canadian woman by the name of Winifred Clark. You know what's really funny about that? Is my dad's name was Winfred. Right? And uh-huh. every time he went to the hospital or a new doctor, they go, or I'd call in about something, they go, I give him the name Winfred Underwood. They go, oh, how is Miss Underwood doing? I go, it's a he. It's Winfred, not Winifred. I mean, don't judge me, motherfucker. <laughs> now... This woman named Winfred Clark told the U.S. federal authorities that her nephew had kidnapped her son, Sanford Wesley Clark, and was holding him in California. Can I ask a question? Huh? Did Todd know that we're recording today? I don't think so, no, because we really didn't know until late last night. Oh, okay, because he just called me, and I was like, that motherfucker should have known. No, no, because it was, 
I I talked to him before I talked to you. Oh, okay, my bad. Yeah, no. All right, now I understand why he's calling. Yeah. So her daughter, Jesse Clark, was worried about her 15-year-old brother who'd left their Saskatoon home two years Up again, with babe. their uncle, Gordon Stewart Northcock, who was just 21 years old himself. Now, Jesse had thought something in Sanford's letters home had seemed suspicious, so she traveled to the Northcott Poultry Ranch outside of Wineville, California, just southeast of L.A., to check things out on her own. I love L.A. We love it. They'll hear you listen to the news? Yes, I remember that song. Okay. <laughs> I had to think about it, but then I remembered, yes. That's an now, obscure one. It's an obscure one. It is, it is. Now, Jesse only stayed a few days at the at the chicken farm. But it was long enough for her to know that her uncle was abusing her brother and he was also involved in something terrible and strange. But it was also long enough for him to attack her as well. Now, she... Hang on. Where was I? Oh, question on September 15, 1928 in a juvenile detention center on immigration charges. Sanford told investigators that his uncle had kidnapped and sexually... kidnapped sexually and physically abused him and that he forced him to watch the murders and abuse of walter collins the winslow brothers and other boys and he also made the boy participate now sanford said his uncle repeatedly abducted boys to rape them and when they became inconvenient or he was bored he would lure the kids into the incubator room to see the hatching chicks Kill them with an axe and then cover their bodies in quicklime to destroy the evidence. You know, when I was a kid. Huh? I'm a little disappointed at this. Nobody tried to molest me or rape me. Nobody? Not a That woman down person. the street didn't even try, huh? Didn't even try no matter <sighs> what I wore. How dare she not even try to molest you? God damn it. What's a boy got to do to get molested in, these, in this day and age? Christ. So unfair. Okay. I got to remember to say this right. Not even by a priest, by the way. Like, I went to some Catholic churches with friends. And you begged them. And I couldn't even get molested by a priest. I'm a good-looking kid. I find that hard to believe. You're not a good-looking man. I'm a gorgeous man. You kidding me? (laughs) All these women around the world cannot be wrong. Some people do anything for money. (laughs) It's coming from you. Yeah. I, can. I hate you. I knew you were going to turn Gotta that make, on me as soon as sense. I said it. That's so, why you're on Sandy Boulevard. Shut up. They have signs missing you. Like, I saw a uh, a lost poster with your picture on it, and it said, Tammy, come home. It was on Sandy Boulevard. You're so full of shit. That's funny, because during the snowstorm, you said you saw billboards with my picture on it. Yeah, they were missing you. They're like, "Where have you seen Tammy? She's. I'll mi- be missing you. <laughs> oh, fuck. I, I know the words. Hold on. Um. I ain't missing you at all. That's what it was. Missing you. Since you've been gone away, away. I ain't missing you at all. Okay, no, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one, my brain actually stopped. I know. So Sanford said his uncle had also killed a teenage Mexican ranch hen in La Puente and that they'd killed Walter Collins because the boy had seen Northcott help another man kill his mining partner. He also told the police that they could find two graves some 50 yards from the chicken coop on the ranch, one for Walter and one for the Winslows. What the Riverside County Sheriff found at the gruesome ranch backed up Sanford's story. 
There were indeed two blood-drenched graves near the chicken coop. But the full bodies were not there. Just a few bits of bone. Two Kibbles bloody, and bits. Huh? Kibbles and bits. <laughs> right. Two bloody axes among the farm equipment still had strands of human hair on their blades. And scattered across the ranch were ankle, finger, leg, and skull bones that pathologists later identified as belonging to male children. See, Remember, that was before DNA, so they couldn't, you know, say that's who That's just they were. pure laziness, man. Like, you got yeah. the whole dug already. Bury the goddamn body, okay? Well, I'm thinking that as soon as they took Sanford into custody, he dug them up and disposed of them, you know, scattered them about his ranch. Uh, maybe, I suppose. Yeah. So in the house, they found more letters from the Winslow boys that were supposed to be sent to their parents. One was written on a flyleaf from a book one of the boys had checked out from the library. Their Boy Scout badges and a child's whistle were also in the room. Guess that rape whistle didn't work. I know, right? Oh, my God, that's horrible. Investigators didn't find anything that they could positively attribute to Walter Collins, though. Two days later, the suspect's father, Cyrus George Northcott, told police that his son admitted the murders to him. By then, Gordon and his mother, Louisa, were on the run. When investigators couldn't find Winifred Northcott, they assumed she joined the list of victims, but she she soon turned up. The LAPD, though, initially still insisted that Christine Collins had her son because they couldn't find anything pointing that this man had Walter, right? Okay. So you know what? Let's let's not even say we might have been wrong and let her out. Let's just keep her locked up in an insane asylum, right? So just desperate to maintain an image of competence, Captain J.J. Jones continued to claim that the boy from Illinois was Christine Collins' son, Walter. Even as more evidence linking Northcott to the murders came out. Even when Clark told police his uncle had killed the boy, police insisted the foundling was Collins' boy. Why? When shown a watch that belonged to Walter, the boy, who'd already shown himself to be grasping and impetuous, claimed it was his. Right? A handwriting expert concluded that the boy's handwriting was not and was nowhere near a match to Walter's handwriting based on samples from him over the years. Among other points, the unusual R the boy used was not something taught in California schools, but was common in Illinois. You know, the way he wrote out his R. Right, right. Now, the boy eventually cracked under pressure. He offered cops a few other aliases, but then he finally admitted that he had decided to try to pass himself off as Walter after a customer in an Illinois diner mentioned he looked like the missing boy. The truth was that Arthur Hutchins, 12 years old, had assumed Walter's identity to run away from home and his stepmother, all hoping on traveling to Hollywood to meet his hero, actor, a cowboy actor by the name of Tom Mix. Okay, this kid wanted to pose as a, as a missing boy just so he could meet an actor. Okay. I'm, Stranger things have happened. I, I guess you're right, but still, it's, it's kind of weird to me. You posed as a human being trying to meet me, so. Yeah. What? <laughs> what did you just say? Oh, my God. And you said, yeah, too. That's awesome. I said, you posed as a human being to meet me. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And then I go, wait a minute. I love it when I slip those in. That's just <laughs> Then I don't hilarious. even notice right away. Yep. So, 
Apparently, the stepmother that he detested soon picked him up in L.A. and brought him back to Illinois, took him back to Illinois, where he was a juvenile probation, where he was also on juvenile probation before he fled. He actually showed no remorse for trying to pass himself off as his missing child and told reporters that Christine Collins must have known I wasn't her boy and that it had just been a big game for them both. When one of the police handlers told him to tell his mother how he, quote, made a wreck of the LAPD, he grinned and said, you've made a wreck of me. So basically he, he chappelled them. Yeah. They said, why'd you do this? Why? Fuck them. That's why. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> that almost sounded like Chappelle for a second. <coughs> Christine I'm, Cooper. I'm working on that voice. <laughs> was re- released from her from the institution and young Arthur was gone, but his glib handling of the press and the police was to prove remarkably similar to Gordon Stewart Northcott's. Now authorities arrested Northcott um, in Brit uh, at, Oh my gosh. O'Connigan landing. O K A N A G A N in British Columbia on September 20th, 1928. They arrested his mother, Sarah Northcott in Calgary, Alberta. In December, local police took Northcott back to his ranch to prompt him for more information. There, he verbally confessed to five murders. Earlier, he hinted at nine, including the Winslows, Walter, and the Mexican boy, possibly named Alvin Gothia. And he told police at the ranch that he'd made Walter kneel at an altar and that he had kept the boy's body around the house for three days before he buried him. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Man. In a written confession that day, though, he owned up to just one homicide. I told I killed Alvin Gothia on the ranch on February 2nd, 1928. No self-defense. Gordon Stewart Northcott will plead guilty to the above charge in Riverside County tomorrow. So the same month, Northcott's mother confessed to Walter Collins' murder. At her trial, she testified that she dealt the final blow to the boy, and then they buried him in a hole next to the chicken coop where they threw sick and dead chickens. Jesus. Sanford Clark testified... <coughs> Hold on. <coughs> oh, you okay? No, I inhaled some dust. Okay, I, I, I'm worried about you. Like, for no, reals. I'm fine. I just inhaled some dust on accident. Because you were so sick, that's why I'm kind of worried. And then oh, no. on top of that, Dawn is sick, too. And wow. So I, I don't know what the hell's going on, but y'all are all getting sick. And See, I haven't had the flu like that in a long time. So, yeah. Oh, damn. Sanford Clark. I haven't had a sickness like that where my fever got so high that I was delirious since I had the norovirus back, you know, the cruise ship virus way oh, back when. yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So Sanford Clark testified that his grandmother had said they would each strike a blow and thus, and thus each of them would be equally guilty if they all got caught. The jury convicted Sarah Louise Northcott of the murder of Walter Collins and the judge sentenced her to life in prison. She later insisted that the boy she killed wasn't Walter and that she didn't know who he was and her son pulled the same trick. Now Northcott's trial excuse me, began in January 1929. The prosecution alleged that Northcott had cut the bodies of Walter Collins and the Winslow brothers into pieces and scattered them around the ranch, and that he'd also killed and decapitated Alvin Gothia and brought his head back to the ranch with him. What's some sick fucks, I know, man. right? Northcott fired three successive defense attorneys and flamboyantly insisted, which I'm pretty sure is over-the-top acting like, uh, what's his name, Ted Bundy. Right. Oh, yeah. On defending himself. Right. Which we all know Ted did that. And then he proposed to somebody. Well, you you know what they say, man. Person that defends themselves has has a fool for a client. If has an idiot as a client. 
So Deputy DA Earl, I love this name, Redwine, painted that's Northcott. Another, that's a rock star name. I know, man. isn't it? Earl Redwine. And now introducing Earl Redwine. Everybody's like cheering. Yeah. And he comes out playing some awesome freaking rips on a guitar. Fuck yeah. 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 So um, he painted Northcott as a sadistic degenerate and a pathological liar. That's not painting. That's just stating facts. I know, right? Now, Northcott's over-the-top grandstanding only clear, I mean, only solidified Redwine's portrait, right? The trial observers described the accused young man as a smart con- and confident, but a, it was obvious he was no lawyer. And his desire for notoriety and his joy in toying with the jury and press seemed to overshadow his survival instincts, right? <laughs> I can just imagine. I wish I were alive back then so I could have seen it. Now, Northcott told the court that he'd abused young boys, but he loved them. Oh, he, he loved them. Yeah. He had his mother testify, and she told the jury that she was not, in fact, his mother, but his grandmother. Her husband, she said, had raped their daughter, Winifred, and Northcott was the product of that union. Northcott even hinted that he'd had an incestuous relationship with Sarah and that his meek father had molested him. Whether any of that or anything he said was true is unclear to this day. Throughout the trial, he seemed more interested in being provocative than in telling the truth. I don't know. I can kind of almost see that happening. Only so can I. Because of the crimes that happened, because of his history of harming and molesting kids, because we, we know that oftentimes um, people who molest especially children, right. it's, it's, it's a progressive thing. So it's usually um, like somebody molests this kid for a period of time. It doesn't necessarily have to be family, but, you know, like, a, right. like uh, somebody, a family friend, whatever. And then it's it becomes a form of normality. Well, we covered that in Family of Killers, remember? Yeah, yeah. With the With the Weavers. Yes. Because Grandpa Weaver... Was well known for molesting his children and anybody else who crossed his path. Right, right. As a matter of fact, Ward Jr. Yes. Um, not Ward the Third, who did the two girls here in, in Oregon. No. But Ward Jr., who's good, a good friend of ours. Right, who's um, doing on death row in California right now. Right. He wasn't a rapist. No. But he did turn out to be a killer. But he, but no, this, he... He did hold that woman as a sex slave for a while, remember? Okay, in his no, truck. okay. So, yeah. He did yeah. do that. But still, but still. There's, there's other contributing circumstances well, to his. His parents would not let him near him or his sister near his grandfather because his grandfather was known to molest children. Yeah. The guy, the guy so they weren't bastard, allowed to man. visit grandpa. I wouldn't let my kids visit him well, either. Well, me neither. But, you know, so it's like that family history there. Right. And right, it just right. it progressed through the generations as, a, as opposed to evolving through the person. Right. And, and, so. But abuse, whether it's sexual or otherwise, is a progressive thing. Like, mm-hmm. take my history. My history is I have a history of abuse um, as far as physical, you know, getting the shit knocked out of me by my folks. Um, and then that perpetuated on to me. I became abusive. Right. Not necessarily slugging people in the face and things like that, but, you know, verbally abusive and things like that. And it takes a lot for anybody to stop that progression. Right. Um, I got help. I did anger management for a long time. And uh, and it helped me. But you got to figure back then, there's not there, there was no resources. Yeah. Zero. There's there, You can't go, hey, man, I need a good anger management class. I need to see a shrink, whatever. Because it just wasn't there. You had the nut hut. That's it. 
Right. And that wasn't exactly conducive to yeah. getting better. No, because the nut hut was, you know, electroshock therapy and... Sensory deprivation and things like that. Yeah, and like the cold water baths and yeah. Yeah, so I can totally see where... And lobotomies. Yes, definitely. So frontal lo- uh, lobotomies. Um, But I can totally see where what he's saying... There's there, there might to be some terms. truth to it, yeah. Yeah, I think that just based on what he did... Because this isn't a matter of just molesting children. Right. Okay. But I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to underplay that at no, all. Because no, it's a he, horrible he thing. He kidnapped them. He, mole- he sexually assaulted them, physically abused them, murdered them, and dismembered their bodies. Yeah, that's, that's a lot going in. So, yeah. fuck, man. This there, dude obviously. There's a lot had, of psychosis going on there. And with mom slash grandma helping him. Oh, wait. It gets even better. I can yeah. see where there can be some incestuous relations between them. Yeah. I can see a lot of things Oh, unfolding. I can too. I can too, especially when you'll hear this next part. I. So, Redwine was able to prove that Sarah was not a credible witness. Because when he said, how many husbands did you have? She didn't know. When they, he said, what are the names of your children? She didn't know. All she knew, and the only point she was consistent on throughout all of the questioning, was that I would do anything for my little Gordy. Oh, my God. I know. Yeah. So I could see a little incestuous thing going on there. Definitely. Yeah. Based on that and, and yeah. everything. Yeah. I can. I yeah. Can I don't know all of my there. children, but I know I'll do anything for little Gordy. You know, all, basically, all in all, the jury was actually consisted of all males. And that's because the prosecution successfully argued that the detail of the case would be too gruesome for a female juror. And they convicted Northcott on first-degree murders of the Winslow brothers and of the anonymous victim on February 8th of 1929. And George, Judge George Freeman sentenced him to die. Good. Now, the convictions did not give closure to any of the families, mainly because there were no bodies for them to bury. And the technology... That would match the recovered remains to a specific boy was decades away. Mm-hmm. So the father of the Winslow brothers, though, had no doubt that Northcott killed his boys. The night before his sent- Northcott sentencing, Winslow stormed the jail with an angry mob demanding that Northcott tell him the location of his son's bodies. But... The law enforcement officials were able to keep the vigilantes at bay so they didn't harm the prisoner. Which, I'm sorry. Why? Exactly. You know? I believe in Western justice. You know, old West justice. I tell you, man. Or South justice. Southern justice. Southern justice is even better. I think that we should be able to kick in the goddamn jail and go, well. Because that's the night that the lights went out in Georgia. We look at him and go, all right, y'all. You guys don't want to take care of this shit? Come on, boys. We got some questioning to do. Rough riders. Mount up. (laughs) Oh, we're horrible. So Northcott was hanged on October 2nd, 1930. And the warden, Clinton Duffy, afterwards found a hand-drawn map of the ranch in Northcott's cell. The caption on it read, I am not guilty. But it did seem to show the location of several graves marked by coffins. It was Northcott's last perverse trick because the map didn't lead to anything. 
They went to those locations and there was nothing there. What a dickhead. Now, Sanford Clark served a short sentence in the Whittier State School for Boys for his role in the crimes. Then he was sent back to Canada. He actually served in World War II as a soldier and married, joined the Postal Service, and led a quiet, normal life after that. Wow, being a postal worker, huh? Well, but you know what I'm saying? It's actually pretty good saying something pretty good about the fact that he went through what he went through. And he was still able to make a life for himself. Yeah, totes. You know, he was able to overcome. So in 1931, shortly after Gordon Northcott was executed, Wineville citizens changed the town's name to Miraloma, which is Spanish for Hillview, in an attempt to put the scandal of the notorious Wineville chicken coop murders behind them. Um, Christine Collins, though, could not so easily turn the page. She had brought a suit against Captain Jones and Chief Davis for their handling of Arthur Hutchins' imposter and her resulting imprisonment, but the police commission protected their men. The city council recommended their removal, but they were instead reinstated, and the courts repeatedly ordered Jones to pay Collins restitution, but he never did. Christine Collins met with Norcott before the trial, and again two days before he was hung, And he insisted both times that he didn't know anything about her son and did not kill him. She actually believed him and spent the rest of her life searching for her missing child. That's fucked up. And hoping he would return home. That's so fucked up. You know, and it it makes me sad because if they would have just had DNA testing back then, she would have known the truth. You know? Yeah, true. Because they didn't have that technology, she was left thinking, hey, my son might still be alive because he's saying he didn't kill him. And there was proof that he killed the other ones. What you know? Where is my son? Yeah, exactly. So exactly. to me, that was really sad. But other than that, this to me, this was a bizarre case because all that whole incestuous like spin on it that I really believe they God, you know kind of like the kind. It's like a fucked up like uh, Sharon Kine and her son. Remember? Was that that wasn't Sharon Kine? That was oh no, uh, that wasn't Kine. That was um. Ah, uh, I think they had Kim a, Kime Kime. No. Oh, I just thought, oh. damn it. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, there were two, the mother and son. Yeah, they that, were out of New York. Yeah, that he he was odd. And people said they saw them in very, like, compromising position or situations. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. yeah, so to me, that's just wrong. No, I, I totally agree. That's... I wish I could have found out what happened to Sarah. Oh, wait, no, she got life in prison. Never mind. I remember now. <laughs> For some reason, I was thinking I didn't find out what happened to her, but. It was another case. Oh, groovy. So. All right. Remember, you can send us an email at Brutal I'm assuming you're done. Yes, I'm Brutal Nation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs. Get your orders into Etsy today for any swag that you want, because uh, come next week, we're going to be switching over to a different service that will provide all the swag for the show and the band and, and every damn thing else that we do. Let's see. Go on to Facebook and join Citizens of Brutal Nation. Join in the discussion today. We try to post a uh, a different uh, question every day. Let's see what you have to think about it, man. And I'm learning more and more about more and more of our listeners, which which I really enjoy. I know. I like getting to know our listeners, too. Yeah, I like seeing new ones We're pop like up. We're a big happy family. We are. It's like a dysfunctional Brady Bunch. We are. <laughs> this show's copyright 2023 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights reserved. And remember... You're hearing this or any part of this on anybody else's show or podcast, they're lying, thieving bastards. And we will see you guys later on. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.